Love bombing. Yep. Manipulation. Check. Gaslighting. Uh-huh. Wow. I guess we really weren't the only ones. You got that right. Welcome to The X-Files, a new spinoff of Ex-Wives Undercover. Now we're sharing your stories of love gone wrong. Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we cry. But more importantly, we stand stand together. This podcast includes discussion around sex addiction, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, and suicide. Please acknowledge that this content may be difficult. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back. I'm Amber. And I'm Athena. All right, girl. You ready to do this? Let's do it. Season 4, Episode 3, A New Chapter. Let's now fast forward to March 2009. I'm 22, single, wild, and living my best life. I have an MLB internship with the Oakland Athletics, working part-time, going out all the time. I'm just really enjoying everything about my early 20s. There was times it was sad because I'm up in the press box and I'm looking out and I'm meeting some of the players my dad and I would talk about since our connection was always sports. And I remember one day, when I got home, it's like I wrote him this whole letter. Like, you'd be so proud of me. You would not believe what I'm doing. And it was like, no, you wait, wait, you would believe what I'm doing because you always said I could do this. And this is something I would always do. And if there was anyone that believed in me, it was him. And it was just amazing. Then I remember like a day I met King Griffey Jr. And I was like, why can't I call him and tell him today? Like, and it was an exciting year, but it was bittersweet. I know exactly what you're talking about. I still do it to this day. It's only been a few years since Jessica passed, but there's certain things that you immediately will pick up your phone mm-hmm. and want to call or text that person because they mm-hmm. can relate or they were there or they yep. would be like, what? Are you kidding me? That's rad. It's bittersweet. It is. Actually, even last night, I found my media badges from the A's. And then when they were out of town, they would send me down to their minor league affiliate in Stockton. And then I came across a CD. And that's the the only CD I have with my dad's name on it, or with my dad's voice on it, because he was a singer and he played guitar. And he wrote a song for all uh, my sisters and mine. And for some, not for some reason, I'm sure he knew what he was doing. But he recorded it shortly before he passed away. That's when a girlfriend asked if I wanted to take a trip to Texas with her. Heck, why not? We had a blast. I grew up around rodeo, so we were visiting at the perfect time. It's when the Houston rodeo was happening. It's huge. The first night we were there, I hear a guy tell me that I have the most beautiful eyes he's ever seen. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You're not getting in my pants was my exact response. We talked that night and somehow he squeezed my phone number out of me. The last thing I was looking for was a guy and uh was he your type visually no no not at all we talked majority of the night he bought me drinks he was slick about giving me his phone number and um that later that night he texted us to come meet them out somewhere the next night we ended up running into him again um let's see i was here from wednesday until sunday and i ended up seeing him every single day and 
he even texted me when I was at the airport on my way back. He said, I hope you have a safe trip back. Very charming, really thoughtful. Was there a time you guys spent alone during that trip? Was there a kiss? No, no. Even when he got my phone number, it wasn't like, hey, can I have your phone number? He was slick. Like, well, what do you do? Oh, I work for the A's. Oh, well, my sister works for a professional team. You should give me your number. And I can, you know, when you move down here, I can see if she has any opportunities for you. So I was thinking it was like that. Okay, fine. And like I said, he was charming on my way back. There was, we danced a little bit one night we were out, but I was like, this is just a good time. I'm going back home. Like, I don't want a boyfriend. Life is great. We ended up talking a week later when I was back in California. Then we ended up talking every single day for hours, texting constantly. Before you know it, I was smitten. How is this happening? This definitely did not fit into my plan right now. I'll just have fun and go with it for now. I Like I said, he was charming, you know, and he was always flattering me. I mean, at this time, it was still MySpace. It wasn't Facebook. And he added me right away on MySpace. While I was still here, he did it. And I remember I'm commenting on my pictures and he told me how he looked through my pictures and he couldn't believe how beautiful I was. And, well, you'd never want somebody like me. You're just a party girl. You know, kind of playing that angle too. And I went, okay. But I, I became smitten very fast with him. Very fast. <laughs> and the thing about like these long distance relationships, do you notice there's a pattern with Alicia, it was a long distance. With me, it was long distance. With, you know, Sadie, it's long distance. So it, there's something about the way they make you feel very secure and very trusting of them, even though you have no idea what they're doing behind the scenes. I would wake up at first, you know, he was two hours ahead time-wise, and I would wake up every morning to the, oh my gosh, the nicest text. Um, I would talk to him every night until he was going to bed. Um, if we weren't texting, like I said, we were on the phone. Not to mention, it's kind of fun and exciting to like, I don't know about you guys, but in my young life, younger life, <clears throat> I feel like there was this fun idea about this new guy that was far away because yeah, it's a small world and you kind of get to know everybody and everybody's dated everybody in your town or somebody's hooked up with somebody and it's like, eh. so then there's this person at a distance and you're like what would it be like to live there wow you know it's fun you get this feeling like okay well they're texting me all day every day i'm on the phone with him the rest of the minutes of the day how could there be any other woman <laughs> you know exactly. that's how you i hit the nail on the it. head sister yeah. oh absolutely yeah. i mean brandon used to do that i mean literally i'd wake up in the morning there'd be text messages then he'd call me on his lunch then he'd text in the afternoon then you know yes. then he'd tell me where he was going to be like i am going to oh, finish yeah. up work and then i'm going to go to the gym and then i'll call you as soon as i'm done so i mm -hmm. just was like oh wow he's so trustworthy he's telling me yep. everything yep. <laughs> so dumb and he but... had a busy life with his horses and with his rodeo stuff he had and like we had picture phones back then, but they weren't the iPhones like we have now. They were still yeah. Blackberries and flip yeah. phones. So he would still like send me, you know, like little picture messages or he'd send them to me on MySpace. I'm like, oh, this is so fun. And about six weeks later, I took a trip to see him. The first night we had a blast. But when we got home that night, he passed out and his phone was going off. So I grabbed it. And lo and behold, he was a girl. 
his ex-girlfriend to be exact, we had spoken about her. He told me they remained friends, and I got that because I had done the same in the past, but these texts weren't just friendly texts. It sounded like there was definitely still something going on between them. and I felt like a huge idiot. How am I back in Texas, not even my second day here, and this guy is already playing me? Okay, this doesn't seem right. She was questioning about why I was actually here, and one thing or another, and I decided not to wake him up. I decided to wait until the morning to question him about it. And as soon as I questioned him in the morning about it, he gets defensive. I was on the phone with her and she told me everything. She says, oh, we've still been hooking up. We hook up all the time. But the night before I got there, that they were together, which I kind of thought was bizarre because like I said, as much as we talked, when and how did this happen <laughs> because it didn't seem possible but with all of the details and everything she was giving me i had no reason not to believe her she told me he said he was picking me up from the airport because i was his friend's cousin and i was doing a favor for them and then i was just quote unquote some young stupid 21 year old and then here's where the red flag started to pop up. He had not been single maybe 14 months, and he had two different girlfriends in that time, one of which he lived with. Three, actually. This one and two others. And guess what? They were all crazy. What he was saying didn't add up. The next morning, I tell him I'm leaving, and I confront him about all of it. And the excuses he gave me were complete bullshit. My friend's sister who lived down here drove an hour to come pick me up. He called me all day begging for me to come back, telling me how she was just jealous and that she got her way. And at this point, I didn't care what the reasoning was. I had been single for over a year and I'd rather cut my losses now. I knew I never wanted anyone like my dad and this was not a good start. I was shocked because I remember being in California and talking to him and I thought he was the greatest thing. I was like, how could somebody be this great? I remember feeling in my like, heart, like how much I would miss him and I couldn't wait to come and see him. And it was in such a short time, but he had me just smitten and I felt this love feeling. I was like, there's no way I feel this for someone that quickly. So then this happens, it's like, what a letdown. The last full day I had agreed to let him pick me up. We had a nice day and he took me to the airport the next day, which was Monday. I had been here since Thursday afternoon and was just ready to get home. I didn't want anything to do with him when I got home, but he kept apologizing and laying it on thick and I fell for it. I didn't contact him, but he contacted me as soon as I was home. I mean, I didn't call him when I landed. I didn't call, I didn't do anything. And he was very persistent to follow up and to let me know how crazy he was about me. And he's so sorry and she's crazy and you know, it. And it's like, that's where it all began because it seemed like it was just a roller coaster from there. We talked constantly and I planned a trip to see him over the 4th of July. I was supposed to be there four days and ended up there for 10. We really started talking about me moving down there during that trip. I kind of felt like it was fast, but I also felt like if it didn't work, I could always come back. I was young and only got to do these types of things once. I knew in my heart that it was all a lie. And I just figured, you know what? Everyone makes mistakes. Maybe he learned from it. 
maybe like that's what he needed and I'm just gonna try to give it another chance. We made plans for me to come down and visit um, over the 4th of July. Then he started talking about instead of me moving to Texas with my friend to finish school, why don't I move in with him and I can finish school here and went, or I could finish school nearby over here. And I was like, okay, well, he can't be that serious about this girl or it has to be different if he wants me to live with him. Like, the thing about those relationships when they're long distance from the beginning is it's more of an emotional relationship than it is a physical one. Yes. And then your mind starts elaborating on this beautiful life that you're going to have. And that's all you have. I'm sitting here in Portland, you're in California yep. and you're dreaming of this amazing man and you're adding yep. on to what you think he is. Yeah. And so things kind of get expedited and then you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm moving to Texas, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. And it's that's great. exactly what it is. Move here. You know, I know you don't have a lot right now because you've been living with your mom. You don't have to worry about it. I will take care of you. It was everything. He was, like you said, it was the sun, moon, and stars. So before you know it, I was planning another trip. And even that next trip down here, there were red flags. I kind of had it started having some reservations with him going back and forth. Because I felt like whenever I talked to him, it never felt lighthearted. And it never was like fun. I always felt like it was like serious when I talked to him. And there was like two other guys I was interested in. And one, I just had a blast with him and it was lighthearted. And he were like always joking and he didn't live in the area either. But whenever I was around him, we had a blast together. And I remember mentioning something about him and he went off on me telling me like, oh, you're probably nothing but a whore to him. You're nothing. He made me feel awful. I was like, well, I know I'm not bad, but okay, well, I better, like, I guess maybe I'm more serious with him than I thought. So maybe anything I have with any of these other guys, I better just cut it off. And we went out one night and a guy texted me. He's like, who's that? I was like, oh, it's just this guy. And he's like, well, why don't you tell me you're with your boyfriend? I was like, oh, so you're really my boyfriend. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't want you to move here with me. And we wouldn't be getting this serious if you weren't. I was like, okay. And then I think I changed my flight twice. And the third time I changed my flight, we were out driving around something and I somewhere. And I don't remember now what happened, but he got so mad. And it was like, that was the first time I truly saw his temper. I mean, like with his fist slamming the center console, and it scared me. I still went home, seeing these red flags in front of me, having the reservations, and still made the decision to move in three weeks. So in total, I had only spent a total of 14 days with him before moving 2,000 miles away with him. Yeah. Amber and I have talked about this before when we've reflected on are very bad decisions. We know for sure we were both in love with an idea of what we wanted things to be, yes. not what mm -hmm. they really were. And that's what it sounds like you were doing as well. Kind of have this like hopeless romantic side. You're like, oh, they live in another state. Like it's the sweet stuff you see in movies and you fall in love on a trip when you least expect it. Before you know it, you're moving there with them. 
At the beginning of August 2009, I was all packed and ready to head to Houston. Four large bags with all my shoes and clothes. Anything additional was being brought by truck the following week with my uncle and cousin. The first few weeks were tough. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a vehicle down there and I was looking for a job. We started arguing a lot. I would find texts in his phone to and from girls. I would see calls to girls when he wasn't with me and find messages on his MySpace. There was always a bullshit story and somehow I always ended up as the bad guy. Within a short time, his true colors were starting to show. I didn't think he was very handsome. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I mean, he, he was okay. He's charismatic, very sarcastic, which in some ways I didn't like. I mean, it's okay to a point, but I mean, he, he was, he was all right. He had called me so many times. I need to come home. I need to come home. I need to come home. And I think she stuck it out too. Same reasons I did, you know, she was there by herself. I wasn't, but she was young. And I, when she left, her sister-in-law had made a comment like, you're just moving there for him. You won't make it, blah, 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 or whatever she said to her. And I think that gives you more perseverance to keep it going because you want to prove everybody wrong. The bigger blokes would happen when he was drinking, which was so ironic because he'd always had something to say to me. Like, I always have a good time. How come it's only you I have a problem with? I'm like, well, that's interesting because I'm always the life of the party. So I don't know what it is, but we were out that night with his family he hadn't seen in a while. We got home. And I warned him about a situation. We lived in a pretty rural area and it had rained and it floods easy, not floods, well, it does flood easy, but it was very muddy. And I just said, well, be careful. You're gonna take your truck over there. What happens if you get stuck? Oh, I'm not gonna get stuck. It'll be fine. I kid you not, maybe 10 minutes later while I'm in the house, I get a call from him. This is like one o'clock in the morning. My truck is stuck, okay? So, he wanted me to march across across a huge pasture at night where there could be water moccasins and Lord knows what other animals that can hurt me with some chains to come get him out. Not just chains. And then it turned into, I was like, I can't do that. So then he gets mad at me. Our roommate at the time, because he was a bachelor, two guys living together. Well, yeah, hey, his other truck is there. Just take the keys to his truck. Just don't get stuck. Okay, I went the way he told me to. Guess what? I got stuck. Oh boy, I was the dumbest bitch. I did not know what I was doing. How do I not have a fucking brain? I heard anything and everything. I'm like, wait, how is this my problem? This was you. So I don't know how, but we got that truck unstuck. I think he came over where I was and we got that one unstuck. And his truck still continues to be stuck. We end up taking the the neighbor's or the roommate's truck back home, but he was just the whole time verbally abusing me. I mean, just telling me how stupid I was. And if I was in school or if I graduated school already and I was educated, I wouldn't be so fucking stupid. And telling me I'm a dumb slut. I mean, all these different things that you're like, where is this coming from? Is this really what you think of me? So I was petrified. I was scared. I went inside, I went right to our room and I closed the door. He walked in and he nearly kicked down the door behind me. He put a hole in it. He was scary, he was mean. And I wasn't going to engage that night. And I 
was scared. I went to sleep and the next morning I woke up and it was a totally different person. In hopes of saving all of you from the sheer hell that Amber, Sadie, myself, and multiple other women have been through, we decided to reach out to a seasoned detective to get some helpful information for all of our listeners. I have been a police officer for over 12 and a half years. Early on in my career, I worked on our domestic violence team that my agency had, which involved you know, doing follow-up investigations and just doing a little bit more in-depth investigations and interviewing victims of domestic violence. And since then, I have become a detective with our department. I'm going to jump right into the questions. Okay. When you're in a dating situation, what is the best way to find out if your partner has a history of domestic violence or any kind of restraining orders? Because as we've learned, it's not that easy. Like, you know, the court system websites aren't really user friendly. It's difficult to find case numbers. You know, if a restraining order is expired, I just, I was shocked. So I'm just curious, like what your advice would be, you know, when you're dating someone new and trying to find that information. So I would actually first and foremost recommend asking the person, what is your history? And then that will give you a gauge on how truthful this person is. If you have reason to believe that there is something, you you can go to your state police and the state police are actually the one, at least in our state, who can run a criminal background check which will encompass everything from that state. Now, it can become a little bit tricky when you're talking about different states because states often have identity numbers that they assign people when they have a criminal history. And sometimes, just depending on the state, they don't always get um, into the system. So it can be kind of tricky. But if you pay for a complete criminal history, you should get most of the information And with that information, you can go through and it will break down like what city the history is in. And then if you are curious about what that report may be about, it'll have a report number. And then you can go to that individual agency and do a public request for the report. I know every state is different, like I've mentioned before. Maybe every county could possibly have different rules to how they handle these types of things. So Mm -hmm. first question for you is... When you say pay for a report, do you mean physically walk into the police station or possibly online, pay the actual department, the police department, a fee, then they will give you a report. Is that correct? Sometimes. So each individual agency is going to have a different fee associated with a report. Gotcha. So the criminal history that you get from your state police So the state police is actually the agency that should have all of that information. Where it gets kind of tricky is if a case has not been adjudicated, which means it's still in the court process, it may not show up. And is that only going to show us charges in that specific county or would it show charges in that state or would it show all of the above? including multiple states in the United States? It can be really difficult. So for example, in our state, there's something called a state ID number that if somebody goes through the court system, they're going to get assigned. But there's also an FBI number, which may 
have reports from different states. So if the state police does not run both of those numbers, it may not catch something from another state. So when you're looking at the criminal history, you want to look for both of those numbers and make sure that everything has been run. Okay. So both an FBI number and the state police background. Yes. They may assign different numbers that I don't know about. Okay. So it's so even for me, like I have access to look up people's criminal history. And sometimes if I don't have all the right numbers and I know, for example, somebody has a criminal history in Colorado um, or California, I may not catch it if I don't know the ID number that they were assigned. So at least so it's a it good be start, difficult. right? Yeah. A great start. A great start is yeah. your state police. So what I did, and I highly don't recommend this now, is just to go on those <laughs> online background checks. You pay 40 bucks and it does an online background. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. it brought up some stuff, but I couldn't, I didn't even know like what the case number was or anything. And so I was on a mad goose chase. And then of course he's like, well, there's lots of Brandon Johnson's in the state of Washington. I'm like, well, that's true. And they're all, yes. it's like all the Brandon Johnson's for Washington state. So it was right. really hard, but had I just went straight to the state police, then I would have been able to see details of those case numbers. Um, you would have had to have had yeah and you would have to have his date of birth mm -hmm, um a did. lot of times a lot of times they're going to ask you like where they're from where their id is from what state it's from all that the more information you can give them it's it's just helpful because there are so many people that use false identities and will use somebody else's identity so it can be really tricky this day and age to actually get an accurate report but at least if you do have that information, you're going to see, okay, they have history, uh, you know, in these different states, and it may be this type of case number. And, you know, it'll tell you what year it's from. And it, it will typically tell you whether it's been expunged, whether they were convicted, or whether, you know, the case was dismissed. What about restraining orders? Like once they expire, do they stay on that report? So you still know that they had one at one point? I believe they do. And what you can do with that is if you do see a domestic violence type of case, go to that specific department or that county. So the county, at least in our state, is who issues the restraining orders. So you would want to double check with the county about that. I was a bit confused. Like, what is going on here? Was I the only one here last night? Did he drink so much that he honestly doesn't remember? Next, he goes on an apology campaign. He was so sorry. It will never happen again. Everything he said to me, he should have been saying to himself. And what did I do? I believed him and I made excuses for him. Oh, it's probably because he's stressed right now. We're both getting used to being here. I have to come home. But there was part of me that was like, I can't come home. All these friends made bets at my going away party. How long it would be before I moved back? <laughs> I can't go back. We spent the day shopping. He took me shopping. We went to lunch and he made up for it. But again, it was only about a month and a half later before there was something else. And I kept thinking, okay, well, once we get our own place, it will get better. Well, we're sharing a vehicle right now because I didn't bring a vehicle down here. Once we get two vehicles, it will get better. Once I have a full-time job, it will get better. And it was always, always an excuse always right away when the first incident happened when he got his truck stuck she told me 
And of course, you know, I'm always trying to book a flight for her to come home. But then, you know, of course, it would get smoothed over. And then they had soon moved and to another place. And so things got better because she wasn't so isolated. I think the place that she lived in, she was kind of isolated. But yeah, I knew right away and it was kind of disturbing to me. Of course, that's the first incident. So then you see, well, is that going to continue? And of course it did. And then it always gets a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. And I always say, and I tell them that now, we show them how to treat us by what we allow. Over the course of the next year, the fights just continued. We had moved into a new apartment. I got my own vehicle, a new job, and even made more money. But the fighting and the verbal abuse continued. Nearly a year to the day I moved here, I found out I was pregnant. I was 24 years old. I was excited but nervous now because I was forever tied to him and we weren't even married. What was my mom going to say? My mom really didn't care for him much after all the phone calls she received over the past year. It's weird that even through that first year, I mean, we had some of the biggest fights I've probably ever had in my life. I've never had a boyfriend or any kind of relationship where we fought the way him and I did where somebody said the things to me that he said to me. He was so degrading. He was manipulative. He was just downright evil. I mean, he would tell me, oh, go ahead and leave. When you're going out the front door, I'll have so-and-so, the ex-girlfriend, come in the back door. Oh, don't worry. There's someone that's willing to take your place. We got to a point about May, June, which it was so stupid. We started talking about what happens if we have a baby. It was weird that there was someone with such a tough exterior, but when he was around kids, this other side he had to him, that it was almost a turn on, that it was attractive. So we're like, well, whatever happens, happens. If I get pregnant, I get pregnant. Well, it did not take long. It took a month and I was pregnant. <laughs> he was so excited. And I remember calling to give my mom the news. I will still say this, all of my years, I've never heard my mom so disappointed in me when I told her something. I called her and she said, I can't even be happy for you right now. And I don't want to say something I regret. I'm going to have to call you back later. And it was heartbreaking, but I totally get it now because how many times did I call her through the year crying that I want to come home? How right. mean he is, the things he said. I mean, he was everything you don't want to be with. And now you're tied to this person for the rest of your life with a child. I knew in my heart, like he was awful. But again, I was like, maybe this baby can change our relationship and bring us together. Maybe this will just bond us and we will be better going forward. Yeah, been there, done that. Did Justin and your relationship seem to do any better for any portion at the beginning of the pregnancy or the middle of the pregnancy or oh, did yeah, it just got, stay the same? It goes. Oh yeah, it got it got better for a while. I mean, he went to my first appointment with me when we heard our son's ultrasound. Uh he came to multiple appointments with me actually. You know, and he'd rub my belly and he'd tell me how cute I was and we moved to a different apartment to start to get everything ready for the baby. There was a part of it that really felt like, okay, it, it's going up from here. The pregnancy did not change much of anything. 
He would have outbursts, then apologize, change for a few days or weeks, and then back to the same bullshit. It was a constant cycle. I would still find suspicious stuff. And of course, I was crazy and it was always my fault. I remember thinking too many times, how did I end up with someone just like my dad? What the hell did I get myself into? I think with somebody like that, you know that they're full of shit. But at the time, you just go with it and you just accept at that time and you just move along. A lot of his stories already didn't add up. The person he portrayed to be, the life he portrayed, none of it made a lot of sense with what he was telling me before I moved here. So why would you try to bullshit me on who you were, what your life was, and then pressure me so much to move here? Because there was even a time I'd even was unsure and he like was gung-ho about me moving here. And I've said that for years. Why did you want me to move here if you really didn't want me? <laughs> if you were gonna do this to my life and play with me, why would you want me to move here? It's like when I, I just remember thinking that it's like I did. I ended up with someone just like my dad. He's verbally abusive. It's like they're never happy with what they have. I feel like the day I realized that it was a hard pill to swallow that I I made the same mistake and I had the wool pulled over my eyes to a degree and I ended up with someone just like my dad. But on the other hand, I was so mad at myself because I saw the red flags before I'd even lived here. And I didn't run from them. I gave them the benefit of the doubt or I made excuses for them. I mean, look, before I was even pregnant, I still could have gone home. I had nothing to lose. I could have gone home, but I was too prideful. Yeah, I love I hearing you so take prideful. accountability. I think it's huge when you can see the bigger picture and take accountability and sometimes it's even hard. And I wanted him to be that loud. person. I wanted him to be that better person. I didn't want him to be this person I thought he was. About a month before our son was born, we got into a huge fight one night. We were gone all day Sunday. He had been drinking and I told him he should let me drive. I don't know what it was, but something in him snapped. He threw stuff at me. I had the truck door locked so we couldn't get back in, and he took a bottle of cologne and smashed the driver's side window. Then he took his keys and threw them at my face, and they caught me right in the eye. I had glass all over my legs and pregnant belly. I had a sundress on that day, so there was blood all over my bare legs from the glass cutting me. I was mortified. I had a sundress on, and I looked down, and there was blood and glass all over me. So I'm looking at my nine-month pregnant belly. Literally, I could have gone into labor at this moment. And there's blood. There's glass. And I'm looking at him in disbelief, like, did you really do this? I get out and I waddle my butt up to our apartment <laughs> and he's just still going off. He's, I think he threw a remote at me again that night. And what was he doing? Calling the same ex-girlfriend, same ex-girlfriend from before I moved here, from that same first, from the first trip I had here, who he was in contact with, how she was going to come get him, how they were going to be together. And I was sobbing uncontrollably. And I kept telling myself, don't get upset because he doesn't mean it. Tomorrow it's going to be fine. Tomorrow it's going to be fine. I don't even know how many hours it went. I think he ended up leaving to go to his aunt and uncle's. And he was so belligerent. And all I kept thinking is, he's going to have to deal with the damage in the morning. 
And sure enough, in the morning, he was sorry, like always. Uh, told me how I didn't believe it. He gave me everything. He told me everything I wanted to hear. It seemed like every time something would happen, it affected me a little bit more and it did take me longer to recover. And we had to go to a friend's daughter's birthday party and I remember them questioning me that day, that night. They're like, what happened? Did he hit you? I'm like, no, he didn't hit me. And they're like, well, what happened? I was like, oh, we were messing around and he tossed the remote and it accidentally hit me. They're like, well, someone has to they probably, they, I'm sure now they know I'm full of shit, <laughs> but to me, the story made sense at the time. And he helped me come up with this story. How ironic. I still have a few scars on my belly from all that glass. The dress was ruined because there was blood all over it. And that's all I kept telling him. Like you could have put our baby that you love so much already. You say you put him and I in such a dangerous position. And here I was trying to protect you from not driving and putting us in a bad situation. And I was made to be the bad guy. And of course, you know, he was sorry. Then there was flowers. And for the next week, it was the same repetitive cycle. It always was where he was on his best behavior. Out of all my daughters, she was the most realistic. And she was just such a no-nonsense person. That's why it just surprised me that she ended up with someone so similar to her dad, maybe not the same issues, but same issues, <laughs> just different. <laughs> I just said, don't be as old as I was. Don't drag it out as long as I did. It, it, it was hard to watch because there are times when she was happy and I think she's tried to make the best of a hard situation. And I just didn't want to see her drag it, the inevitable out. My nerves were everywhere. Of course, after this, he was on his best behavior, but only for so long. Because I could only be upset as long as he thought it was okay. And then I would just simply have to get over it. I think it was only a few weeks later and some friends asked if we wanted to go dancing. I said, hell no. I was so uncomfortable and about to pop any minute. I told him to go ahead and go. He did, and he did manage to come home at a reasonable time. He got home and then left again to grab some food. But when he did, he left his phone. I decided to look through it, and lo and behold, what did I find? A message to an ex who apparently he ran into that night. They were texting each other, talking about like, oh, I couldn't find you when our song came on. We should have danced. Next week on The X-Files. I really feel like we're truly happy right now, and I don't think he would ever truly cheat on me. And I see his phone fall, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's gonna puke on his phone. So I grab his phone, and as I grab his phone, here we go. Here comes text messages. Am I really finding this right now? He makes a beeline for me. It was like a nightmare. It was something you see on a movie. Please stop, you're going to kill me. You're gonna kill me tonight. Please stop. And he was a maniac. I don't even have words. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. His brother-in-law is a police officer. And he knew what happened. They're gonna protect him. I said, no, they won't. I said, how do you protect somebody like this? He says, you have to get out of there. His family is going to protect him. Hey, X-Fans. If you haven't quite got your full fix of X-Wives Undercover or the X-Files, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join our Facebook group. Make sure to also follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave us a five-star review.